0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep talking about um, creation. We are continuing in our statement of faith, but today we're going to talk about creation. I thought it was timely because it was in one of my lists. But one of the reasons why I think this is imperative is because the culture is trying to teach us lies. The culture has tried to deceive us, and it's becoming more so. In fact, 100 years ago, a theory that was rejected in our educational system became allowed to be talked about, and within the last 20, 30 years, it has become not only been accepted, but has become the standard to which people believe about life and science. A theory that was once rejected had become accepted, now adopted as the standard norm of that we come from monkeys. Evolutionary theory. Crazy stuff. The culture has deceived us in such a way where... If you believe that you are made in the image of God, by God, then you're a fool, you're mocked. they rather believe that they're made in the image of a monkey than God. Okay, they're probably all right. Whatever they believe, but what I'm saying is, it's important for you to know where you come from, who you are made in the image of. You gotta know your past in order to know where you're going. You cannot know where you're going. Or purpose, if, it's, if the world tells you it's by random chance, because then you're constantly searching, wondering, why am I here on earth? You understand? If it's just by random chance, then you will be searching. But if you know where you come from, then you know your purpose. So, we're continuing in our faith statement, statement of faith series. And we're going to look at this statement. We believe God created mankind in his image for his pleasure, purpose, and with his authority. After man's fall, all he inherited sinful nature, but Jesus Christ paid the full payment of all sins with his life on the cross. He raised from the dead, completely setting us free from the dominion of darkness, removing the curse of sin, seating us with him in heavenly places. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm going to break that up in two parts. First is the first sentence, we believe God created mankind in His image for His pleasure, purpose, and with His authority. And next week, we're going to talk about salvation, or the fall, and our need for salvation, and how God restores all of that, okay? First part is about creation. We're going to look at Genesis, but I want to share why it's important to look at Genesis. One of the big arguments of the culture is that you can't believe in Genesis. You can't believe that stuff. Come on, Noah's Ark, they seem like a fable. like a kid's story. You can't believe that. How can the whole earth be flooded? And they will always come back to the Genesis account. The whole world made in six days? Are you kidding me? And they'll talk about the evolutions, the carbon theory, and all of that. Their basis is that that's impossible, but what I'm sharing is you don't know how to read the Bible. As Christians, we are told you need to read the Bible, and we do do read the Bible. The other problem is we don't know how to read the Bible. So I want to teach you proper exegesis, proper way to understand an ancient text. And so the proper exegesis is you got to figure out what the bible meant at the time of the writing who the author was who was his audience and what was the purpose of that writing once you know what it meant then you can know what it means do you understand the problem with most of us is that we read and goes oh this is what it means to me it makes me feel this but unless you know what it meant originally what Paul originally meant to his original audience, you cannot know what it means if you skip that first step. You understand? Okay, so coming back to Genesis, who's the author of Genesis? You got different answers there. I hear God, I hear Moses. Okay, Moses is the one who documented the first five books of the Bible. But we also recognize that Moses was not around when God said, let there be right? So how did he know this Genesis account, the creation account? Well, we know that before it was documented, before people knew how to write, it was an oral tradition, right? It was oral. People memorized it and told it to the next generation. They heard it growing up and they told it. Now, I understand what you're Thinking of the fire pit story, but how can you think that's actually real? But and how do they memorize? Because if you read Genesis, it's it's a long book. How do they do that? Okay. If you have you ever like drove by, have the radio cranking, and you're singing along with a song on the radio, right? How did you know the lyrics? You memorized it. But did you memorize but Sitting down, like, mm, I'm gonna try to. It's by repetition of what you have heard with a beat of the song, with a rhythm, and the poetry that repeats the words. And as it repeats, you get it. And when somebody cites it, you can say it along with them. That was the basis of the oral tradition. And what that oral tradition did was it put words into rhythms and repetitions that was easier for people to remember, right? So, when you look at the Genesis account, what is the genre that it is written in? You guys ever consider that? Probably not. What is the genre? It's poetry. You may not see it so clearly in our English translated text. Especially if you have, let's say, if you read the NIV or the Passion Translation, it is a very dynamically thought-for-thought translation. Nothing wrong with those translations because we need that to understand. Just because you have a word-for-word translation is very literal does not mean it translates well because certain cultures do not translate, right? And how that culture communicates doesn't mean we will get it because that's a very different subject altogether. But I'm, I'm going off tangent here. Poetry. What does poetry seem... And by the way, let me say a little disclaimer... Whenever I th- say a particular book of the Bible is poetry, walls come up of some people. As if like, are you saying that isn't fiction? Or just literary work? No. Genesis is a historical account. But it's written in the style of poetry, which means, and there are many books in the Old Testament that's written in the style of poetry. Prophetic works, most of them are poetry. Psalms, Poetry. They're literal. They're God's word. I'm not taking away any of the viability of God's authority in those words, but they are written in the style of poetry. There are play on words in the original Hebrew that you may not see in the, in the English translation, like ish, isha, like man, woman. You see man, woman, but it's in the original Hebrew. There is this rhythm and the rhyme and the repetition and play on words that we don't see. You guys understand? Okay, so I'm not taking away from the authority, but I am saying there are play on words that's in Hebrew that we do not see. Okay, so then, I'm going to read for you a portion of Genesis. I want you to see if it's poetry, and it is poetry, do you see patterns of how God's work is existing, okay? So I'm going to read a portion of it. Genesis 1:1. In the beginning... God created heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate from waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. I'm going to stop right there. I have a lot more, but I want to be succinct. Do you guys see rhythms and repetitions beginning and the end? That It's like you see a pattern. It's much more so in the Hebrew, but I don't expect us to read Hebrew together. I'm just saying, I want you to see what you didn't see before. I want you to see that in a genre of poetry, it is literal, and then there's the metaphors and the symbolisms. There is a pic- if a picture is worth a thousand words, I want you to know that this is a picture that God is painting with so much more than you can imagine. You guys with me? All right, so if you are reading Genesis as a poetic language and you see the, uh, the pattern of words and the phrases, it may rub you the wrong way because you are used to a certain cultural understanding of your language. So most of us are Westerners. I say Westerner; I look like an Easterner, but I'm as American as they come, come on. All right. I'm a Korean redneck as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but we have a Western mindset in our education and how we're trained. Logic, philosophers have groomed us. There is the, the claim, then there is a support, then you can get to the conclusion. Right? There's a very linear. You have the subject, verb, direct object. There's a very linear of how we think, how we have been trained because it makes sense. But did you know that other cultures speak very differently? Right? We can recognize that. Just even within your husbands and wives. When Sarah and I first got married, we were given a book called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. You guys seen, seen that? Okay. What they're saying is men think like compartments of the waffle each segment. And women, this is my wife, spaghetti. She says everything. And I'm like, What's your point? They're all related. I'm telling you everything. I don't understand. And so I ask, what's the point? And she gets angry. I'm like, okay, that's not how you communicate. Because I want that one waffle point. Because that's how my mind works. I want that linear. Tell me your point, then give me the reason, then I can get to the conclusion. But in the Eastern culture, the language is like a big picture. If you have a center idea... It's almost like a spider web with points all the way around. It's not a linear, but a picture. You guys with me? Okay. So I share that to say this writing is ancient. The actual genre is ancient Near Eastern epic poem. That's the genre. It's poetry. It's not from a culture that you and I are used to. It's so much more but I want to demonstrate what that looks like for you, all right? So if I had time, and by the way, guys, Genesis is my favorite book of the Bible. There is, It's so rich. It's one of those few books, one of many books, you read over and over, you will get so much more. It's infinite amount of information that God teaches through. So if you haven't read the Bible, Genesis in a long time, read it. It's one of the most rich Study text ever, period. Anyways, let me show you one slide, days one, two, three, on the chart. Okay, so um, Dr. Meredith Klein, theologian, identified that if this is poetry, and it is poetry, then there is this order in the framework to which how the Genesis outline. And he says, in the first day one, two, and three, God has outlined this dominion's how he brings up the order of the words to say there is this separation and order and creation, and he says there are dominions. In day one, there's day and night. Day two, there's a sky and a sea, and you can look it up. You will see what happens in those days in that repetition of the words. Day three, there's the land. Then you get to um, day four through six, and let me... Again, that repetition happens. Let me read a portion from verse verse 14 and following. And God said, Let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons for days and years. And let them be light in the expanse of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Verse 16. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the day the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse in the heavens to give them light on the earth. 18, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. Why am I reading all of that? Well, day one, two, three are the dominions. Then he gives rulers of those dominions. Let me show you that. The second chart. Chart. Just give me the last one with all together. Thank you. Day one, two, three, dominions. Then he gives rulers over those dominions. Sun and the moon to rule the day and the night. The birds, the fish to rule the sky and the sea. And then the land animals in day six to rule the land. You guys it? See a pattern? Picturesque. In fact, there's more details. Like, you can see plants are in day three. Where's the photosynthesis? Where's the sun? It's not in perfect order of way our minds think in our Western logical thing. But I'm saying, if a picture is worth a thousand words, God is painting a picture. This is almost like you go to a museum and you see a snapshot, like Renaissance period. You Go to another room, you see another snapshot. And it's like, I don't know, another period, because I'm not good with those. Historic period. I'm done with after Renaissance. (laughs) But it's like one snapshot as opposed to literal 24-hour days. I can get into the debates about yom, the day, and how people want to argue about literal day. But when I see this, I'm not saying God cannot make the universe in six days. Okay, he can't. He is omnipotent. But what I see from the scripture is not that an argument of the 24 hour days because the sun didn't even happen until the days later. You guys understand? It's like, where's the rotation of the 24 hours without the sun? So I'm not talking. And the Hebrew yom of day, there are many different expressions like the day the Lord, the day of the Lord talks about not the literal 24 hour days but a period when he's going to come and judge. There is different expressions that you got to know. So just because you have a day doesn't mean it's 24 a literal 24-hour day. Don't think like a you know, Westerner. Think like a Hebrew of the ancient 2,000 years ago. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But do you see this? And I want you to look, validate what I say by the Scripture, but what I'm showing you is that the words in your Bible talk about, Sun to rule the day, the lesser to rule the night, the birds to rule the sky, and the fish. And then there is this pause leading up to the land animals on day six. And then God has a pause and then elaborates with more details about the creation. And so you see a pattern, and all of a sudden, he breaks the pattern. When you see a pattern, blah, 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 repetition, and then somebody, there's someone breaks the pattern, that should be like, what's going on? Why is God writing more about this person or this situation? That's how I read it. He breaks the pattern. Genesis 126, and we're still on day six. God says, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Here's God's plan, blueprint for creation. Then verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, he created them. Leave that up there. I don't know if this like is interesting for you, but this excites me. This is like, oh. the more you dive into God's word in Genesis, here is repetition. He's talking about day one, here's what happens. Day two, here's what happens. Day three, and then he just, then you get to day six, and he pauses and he lays out a blueprint, and then gives a dominion and authority over this creation unlike anything else prior. And then he says, everything that has been created, let them rule over every dominion that he outlined, day one, two, and three. Sky, land, water, sea, everything. Let us make man in our image. What's the blueprint like? In his image. In his likeness. The blueprint is God. And then he gives him the authority to rule. And you see later, he sees what Adam would name. His creations. That authority it comes from creators or parents. You guys understand? Like, you can't name something that's not yours. I can name my kid because they're mine. But I can't name your kid. Because... I'd be a fool if I'm trying I have no authority. If I'm an inventor, I create something, I have the authority. I see a star that has never been discovered. I discover it. What do I do? I can name it because I have claim to the certain authority. God gives his authority as a creator to Adam, and Adam means earthling. It's a person of dust of the earth, earthling. Anyways, I'm going off side. There's a lot of nerdy stuff that I like, okay? Here's the bottom line. That word for image, that blueprint that God uses, is the Hebrew word zelem in the Hebrew, okay? And that word is, yes, image, but it's also something that can be cut up in the image of. That's an idol. You guys understand? The ancient people cut up wood stone in the image of a bird, and when they saw that bird, what did they do? kneeled down and worshiped it to say it represented the image of their god let me tell you how foolish that is god says i made you in my image you're my salam you're my idol when people see you i want them to see me that's salam that's the idol and then you go around and make something out of a wood and stone and you bow down to it, you are made higher with the authority to rule, and you are bowing down to something that you're called to rule. How foolish is that? So I know we're God says, I'm jealous, God, don't thou shalt have no idols and worship other things made of stone. We get that. But He's trying to keep us from that because that's foolishness. You We are made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. The significance is that we are not made in the image of monkeys, but the image of our Creator, the Almighty God. Genesis 5, and I'm going to encapsulate this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, He created them, and He blessed them and named them man When they were created, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Same words to say God had Adam and Adam had Seth. This is a genealogy language. The whole Genesis creation account is inheritance language. It is the language that says, where's Josh? He just walked out. Just because he's, Newest father, okay? I know moms, when they were expecting, and they, is it called nesting, right? Okay. Oh, Oh, I get a lot of amens from the moms here. Okay. What is nesting? It is when you are expecting your baby to come into this world, and you prepare that room you are painting. I know moms, they told me a story. They're literally painting that wall to the last hour before the water breaks. I mean, she is getting the house ready. Why? Because the baby is the fruit of the love of the father and the mother. And when that baby comes, it's like they're going to receive that love. And they have prepared all the cute for outfits and the furnitures and the clothes and the color and the who knows what they like, but they have everything ready just in case. All the plush to say, I have prepared a place for you. I know the lifetime you're going to live. The school, what you're going to do, I have it all thought out because of my love for you. Before the baby even comes into the world, the mom, the dad has prepared out of love. You with me? And God has made all of that, the entire world. In the beginning, there was nothing, nothing but darkness. And out of nothingness, God created, let there be, he created all of that. But why? The climax was day six. The climax was God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let us make him in our image bearer, that when they see my child, they will see me. It was his own pleasure. And, and I shared in, in messages before, and so I'm going to condense this. I don't think God created us for service or worship, even though that is an appropriate response. If you know God, service and worship, that, is our, it, that should be the most natural thing. But God is not like, six days, that was a lot of work. I need a break. I need someone to carry my land. God's omnipotent. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't need another worker. You understand? So I don't think he created us for service, even though that should be our natural response to give unto him. And God doesn't make worshipers for the sake of, tell me how great I am. He has thousands of angels for all eternity bowing down over and over, and I'm sure they're getting tired. But God is worthy. They're worshiping him. And God is not so insecure to say, I need one more person to tell me how great I am. That's not God. That's not the God I worship. The reason God created, and all of Genesis reveals, is love. Made in my image, let them rule, have dominion, authority. Perfect plan. God walks and talks with his sons and daughter. How great is that? Yeah, that is until sin happened. But you know, we're gonna get into that next week. But what does that mean for us? God's heart for creation was love. God's desire for you is love. All of creation was love. Pete's video showed that. There are so many texts of how God relates with an unborn baby before birth. Jesus, in the womb, with Elizabeth, unborn John the Baptist, and they're, like, responding. Psalm 139, in the most, innermost place, God is moving you, knows you. Jeremiah, there are so many examples, and what is the world teaching you? You're out of a chance, randomness. You come off as a single cell, and you have evolved. B.S., that is such baloney. Like, actually, there is a great book, Philip Yancey, not Philip Yancey. Is it Philip Yancey? There is a um, Darwin on Trial. Philip Johnson, okay. Philip Yancey is another great author. His books are great. Okay, Darwin on Trial was a book that I read, and Philip Johnson is a trial lawyer. And he said, if we were to take Darwin, and Darwinian theory, and put him on the stand in a U.S. court case, would he win? Just by just a cross-examination, seeing the evidence, seeing that claim, is it true? And, of course, the conclusion is, no. He wouldn't pass the test, not even. But one example, I remember this one example. There were many great things that he said. But he said that, okay, if you believe that we have evolved from a single cell, and in fact, what Darwin knew of a single cell then, 100 years ago, to what we know about single cell today is far more complex than he ever imagined. He thought a single cell it was pretty simple. No, with a DNA strand, and it's so complex. Okay, but that's something else. If you believe a being has evolved into something more complex, from a single cell, let's say, tadpole, into let's say a monkey or whatever it is in between. Where's the evidence? Where's the, the missing link that they talk about? Why do we still have monkeys, and why do we still have fish, but nothing in between? And, and if you've seen some of the evidence that they proposed years ago that they have like, like dolly, and, it's like you take their evidence of where the bones were found, it's like five miles apart. It's like, and you think they were together? You fragmented all these things that were five miles apart and you thought that was part of a, one animal? No wonder the legs were so short. It, it, but one big argument. No, Dolly was not Korean. Just kidding. Anyways, bad joke. Take that up. All right. Just, just the evidence of the eyes. Your eye is so complex that if any component is missed or doesn't work, you get no vision. It's not a blurry vision, you get no vision. You guys understand? Even blurry vision, you have to have a perfect eye. It's just the focal is off. But you get no vision. When you go from a simple animal to a more complex animal and you have this, theoretically, you have this missing link somewhere in between If an eye is not perfect, you are not going to get a vision. You're not going to have an almost eye that will eventually, hopefully in 100 years, we'll see. You guys understand? Everything has to work perfectly in order to see perfectly. Or even to see blurriness. There's no in between. How can you say that something that had no eye will have an eye if if you just give it a time? No evidence, ladies and gentlemen. Darwin would fail the trial, is what the book says. And there are so many things. Anyways, our statement, we believe God created mankind in his image for his pleasure, purpose, and with his authority. I want you to know that that was the original plan of God. God gave his true authority Sin ruined it. I'm gonna, I can't wait to talk about it next week. Sin ruined it, but Jesus restored it. What does that mean? What sin ruined from the time of creation to now what you have, I need you to know that because that impacts your faith, your understanding, who you think you are. And unless you know your creator, you're going to miss everything else. And I want you to have the confidence when the school systems and the culture teach you all these other baloney, where's the evidence? It it takes greater faith to believe in that garbage than it takes to believe in a God that you cannot see. But you are his image. You are the living testimony that God is the creator. You guys with me? We are the image. So, I can't wait for next week. Stand up, guys. I was able to cover the whole sermon. Hopefully you guys don't feel rushed in what I had to share. I'm going to welcome the uh, the prayer team to come up. I'm going to pray and, and give the benediction. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know this one true God who made the heavens and the earth and everything in between and he's made you with plans he said for I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you not to harm you plans to give you hope in the future when you call upon me I will hear you when you seek me with all your heart this God who gave his words thousands of years ago It's still saying that today to you. And I still know the plans I have for you. Every one of you. The born, the unborn, the old and the young. He loves us for his own pleasure. The world has taught us you're by chance now. You're beautifully made. Wonderfully made. The world has tried to deviate you from this truth. But I'm saying, God thinks you're to die for. Father, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your love and your kindness. Thank you for this truth. Thank you that you have made mankind in your image. male and female, you made them, made us. There's so much we don't know from the scriptures. There's so much that we have misunderstood or misread. But Lord, I we ask for your truth to reign. That when we read your, uh, the scripture that you have given, this inspired word, I pray that the words would come alive in our hearts and excite us. That we would, Lord, be consumed by this truth. Consumed by you and your love. Because that is... The love letter that you give to your church, the Genesis account is not just a historical information, but it is your love letter that says, I've made you with a plan to walk with the Almighty God in pleasure and in love. We confess that there were times that we had, we didn't know this and we have walked away from your righteousness. We have tried to uh, pursue it to know ourselves by experimenting and testing and all these things. We have done a lot of stupid foolish things but you are leading us back to your truth and i thank you thank you thank you i pray for my brothers and sisters here i pray that your truth would reign in them that they would know your love and if there is anything that they have walked into in the past and that has deviated to the left and to the right that, uh, from the path that you have set forth lord i pray for that spirit of repentance right now because you are welcoming them you're welcoming your sons and daughters to come back and to be restored because you died on the cross for our sins. You died to redeem us. You have died to set us free. You have given us the identity as the children of God, heirs and co-heirs with God, co-heirs with Christ. You did not stop. You did not stop pursuing us. So, Lord, I, I pray that you would bring your people back to you. If there's anyone here who needs prayer to give to the Lord your heart again to say I want to know this Jesus as he was intended to be known come receive prayer from these saints it's a safe place they would hear you but they would pray with you and that the Holy Spirit would come upon you and minister to you Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.